We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver, and with me, as always, Justin Mello, here to break down some wide receiver prospects because we have it um, pretty well assumed, I think, that the Titans will be drafting at least one receiver in the 2023 draft. Justin, how you doing? Doing well. Favorite time of the year. It's officially draft April. Season. It's draft month. And we're talking about the most exciting position, right? right. Really, it's wide receivers. It's some of the most fun you could have. And the Titans really need one, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. It's pretty <laughs> grim when you look at the depth chart, but they need a few for sure. And uh, I've, I've watched a lot of wide receivers and I'm excited to break them down with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I do think wide receiver is the most fun position to scout because I think, number one, it's kind of easy to see, you know, like who's good and who's not. And, uh, you know, what translates to the NFL is always the big question. And that's why you have busts. But over the last few years, you know, guys drafted in the first two days have been largely hits, way more than misses. So we're going to get into that. But first, the Titans have made some transactions There's some rumors swirling about that we talked a lot about last week with the Titans potentially trading up to the number three overall pick. So we'll discuss that briefly before we get into these receivers. So let's start with the transactions. The Titans have signed a tight end. They re-signed an offensive lineman, the tight end being Trevon Wesco and the offensive lineman being Corey Levin. So... Wesco, I think, fills your Jeff Swaim role. He's a, a guy who's been near the tops of the charting in terms of blocking, both pass protecting and run blocking grades. I don't know if he adds a whole lot in terms of catching the ball, but he certainly is serviceable in that area. What do you think of this signing? Yeah, I mean, I, I talk all the time about guys that can play the Y, right? That traditional inline tight end. And I always say there's not a lot of them in the league, and there aren't. And my, I, I don't even know that there are, are 10 in all honesty, that, that do it at a really high level. And, 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 and Wesco does it at a really high level, right? He, he's, he's about what they're about, right? You've heard Mike Vrabel say that before in press conferences. And he's definitely about what they're about because they want to run the football and they want to do that with Derrick Henry. And they've had these types, right? With Jeff Swain, with Michael Pruitt, uh, dating way back to Craig Stevens, if you remember him. And they've brought a, you know, a couple of guys. Kevin Rader was here last year. Like They try to bring in these types as frequently as they can. This probably means Jeff Swain won't be resigned. Um, I, I think it's probably safe to assume, which a lot of fans are going to be celebrating and, and they're happy about. <laughs> I, I don't think Swain is as bad as most people think, in all honesty. I just don't. But uh, but this is an upgrade. It is. And he's a younger guy uh, than Swain, so you've got more of a future with him if, if you want. It's only a one-year deal, but never hard to resign him. Um, the, the one ironic thing, and I'll say this, uh, that I found kind of funny was there are a lot of people who were like super stoked celebrating this signing that are the same people who are like tired of being a, a Derrick Henry run first centric team. Right. And, and that's fine. You could, you could be that maybe and acknowledge that this is going to help them be better at what they want to be. But I found that a little funny, right? Cause I think this really just reinforces their identity. They haven't signed a single receiver yet in free agency. <laughs> they probably have the worst receiver room in the NFL. I just find it a little ironic that they've already gone out and made sure they got their blocking tight end. Right. So it's, it's kind of funny, but 
they that's what they want. They do want to run the football. They are going to be a Derrick Henry centric football team as long as he's on this roster. And uh, in their eyes, they just filled a really sizable hole in order to be that kind of team, right? A guy that can really help clear the way for Henry, like some of those other tight ends have in the past. Right. I totally, I think, I mean, you know, every team needs a guy like this, you know, I mean, somebody who can block, somebody who can protect uh, in, you know, heavy, you know, max protect type scenarios. And as you know, it's not that exciting for fans to have guys like this, but like you said, there are people excited about this signing because it means Jeff Swaim trying to block a defensive end and getting his ass whooped is probably a thing of the past. Not to say that Wesco won't get his ass whooped from time to time because, you know, blocking a defensive end as a tight end is not an easy task. But I think really he's, hard, probably, yeah. <laughs> he's probably better suited for it. What about Corey Levin? Is there a chance Corey Levin is the Titans starting left guard or center next year? I lean no, but I do really like this re-signing. I've been, uh, I've been asking for it to happen for a few weeks now. And I was worried, are you doing, you know, are you doing that fan thing where, you know, you overvalue a guy that was one of your own. And because realistically, he's probably a, you know, a league wide average to below average rosterable lineman. But I I do think he, he's valuable. I remember when they let him go several years ago. And honestly, I thought that was a mistake, a minor mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. And and I do think, um, you know, they, they brought him back. He started the last three games at center last year and he was good and all like he was, he played good football for them down the stretch. He can play both guard positions too. So play all three interior. This is what the NFL teams love, right? Like they love that versatility. You got to carry less guys on game day. Um, it, it, to me, it more reinforces, though, how incomplete this line is right now, right? Because if you were to go left to right, it's Dillard at left tackle. Uh, let's say we have to feel the starting lineup. It's probably Levin at left guard, Aaron Brewer at center, or you could switch one of those around, Brewer center. I'm uh, sorry, Brewer left guard, Levin center, uh, Daniel Brunskill at right guard, and Petit Friere at right tackle. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. Like I said, I think Levin's probably going to be their number one interior backup. But yeah. what do you have – Behind those five, you still don't really have much, right? You've got Jamarco Jones still on the roster, um, who I think still has a good chance to make the final 53, but it's a bit of a mystery box after he missed the entire 2022 campaign. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have any backup tackles, I don't think, right now, right? It's just the two of them. And, uh, and I don't know that we can say with certainty that they're going to be your two starters. I mean, probably, but I wouldn't say it's more than like 60 65% right? That it's Dillard and NPF. So it's a very incomplete picture still up front, even with Corey Levin back. I still think they need another guard uh, for sure. Maybe just one, right? Because if if you've got him, uh, sorry, Levin, Brewer, Brunskill, you've got a few interior players. I think you need one, Jamarco Jones, maybe. I think you need one more. And then you certainly need one, maybe two tackles, right? To fill out this room. Uh, Shows how much more work is still to be done. But ultimately, I really like the Corey Levin signing. I was able to confirm that it's just, it's a one-year deal for the vet minimum. Um, I I confirmed on Twitter. So there's not a whole lot of risk involved here, but I do think he probably makes their 53 and might be their top, uh, you know, swing guy in the interior. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely the case. And as you said, still work to be done, especially with this offensive line group that was one of the worst in the league last year. And, you know, they have they improved from last year to this year? TBD, they they added some guys, but they lost some guys. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I definitely think whether it's in the draft or the later stages of free agency, there will be at least one more addition here, um, if not multiple. Let's talk about the rumors because you and I last week discussed, you know, we broke down the top five quarterback prospects and we talked a lot about the potential 
for the Titans to trade up to the number three pick and target either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, you know, assuming Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are the first two picks in the draft. Now there's some reports out there that the Texans are not looking at quarterback for the second pick, which seems pretty ridiculous to me, considering that the Texans are working out all the quarterbacks and that they don't have anyone, you know, that you would call a franchise quarterback. I don't think anyone thinks Davis Mills is a franchise quarterback. They didn't sign anyone in free agency of note at that position. So I I don't think that those rumors are very, you know, like believable that the Texans are not looking at a quarterback at two. But the other big rumor, and this, you know, comes from Daniel Jeremiah, who is very well known, well renowned, great draft analyst. He's like the number one guy on NFL Network. He's there on your TVs th- throughout the draft. If you're watching it on NFL Network, breaking down all the prospects there at the Combine, the Pro Days. He's got a podcast. We had him on around the NFL last week to break down draft stuff. And he said the other day that, and I guess Ian Rappaport repeated this on the Pat McAfee show, that. He if he's hearing, you know, what teams to watch out for in a potential trade up scenario. And he mentioned the Tennessee Titans as a team that other people are telling him, look out for the Titans to potentially trade up to three. So what is this like? Where do these rumors come from? What is it based on? What's the you know legitimacy of them? Is it a smokescreen? What is to be gained by making a smokescreen about this? And I tend to believe that, you know, this is accurate. This is what Daniel Jeremiah is hearing. He's hearing it from other anonymous executives and scouts who are trying to do their own mock drafts and figure out how the draft will play out. And those people are pinning the Titans as a team that might trade up. So they're also just kind of guessing, right? It's not like they heard from Rand Carthon, like, hey, we really want to trade up in this draft. Like, obviously, you're not going to hear that stuff. But what do you make of these rumors? Are they, you know, do they have legitimacy to them? Are they a smokescreen? Where do you fall on that? Well, you've been hearing Titans trade-up rumors for months now, right? Since the Bears at number one overall, and we never quite... I don't know that we ever worked out how legitimate that was, but the fact is that rumor hasn't gone away, right? right. And it wouldn't shock me if some of these people, including front office executives, in all honesty, are, are dot-connecting, right? Because yeah. they've read this so many times now for the last three months, or they heard it from a... You know, like, that does happen more in the league than you... Be, like, believe it or not. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've got the answer. Um, I, I, I don't think that we can just write this off as like a smoke screen or anything, because as I said last week, they have spent a lot of time with the five top quarterback. Exactly. Prospects. And I'm now including Hendon Hooker in that. Cause we know there's been some first round buzz on Hooker. I don't know that I'm buying that, but we do know they had him in for a visit, a top 30 visit and, um, and uh, I mentioned last week, I think, right, they've got Anthony Richardson for a top 30. They interviewed Levis before Kentucky's Pro Day. They were at Alabama's Pro Day, Ohio State's Pro Day. Like, spent a lot of time with all five quarterbacks. Right? Look, teams have probably put more effort into smoke screens in the past. I'm not totally writing that off, but I don't think it is, right? Like, you have to understand, these people, it, it's easy for us to sit here and, 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 and talk about it and analyze, but the people who are actually running this franchise, like, They've got a quarterback who's entering a a contract year and they're probably fairly confident that he won't be back in 2024, right? Like just from a company wide perspective, an organizational perspective, this is a really big problem that needs to be addressed, (laughs) right? Like that's, that's how companies work. He's the most important guy um, on field performance wise, right? It's your quarterback. So think of it as a normal company, right? If, a CEO or a chief executive officer has got a contract expiring in eight months 
everyone else is like, oh my God, we probably got to figure out who the next, you know, the next chief operating officer is, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think it's that different from that, right? So you've got to start putting those wheels in motion and start thinking about what we're going to do at that position. And if there is an opportunity for us to address it right now, then we would like to address it right now because you never really want to back yourselves into a corner, right? Like, yeah, it's like when you already don't have one on the roster, maybe you're lucky, right? Like if you're the Houston Texans or the Carolina Panthers and you don't have one and you're picking one or two overall, it's a little easier to address it, right? But when that's not the case, when you're picking at 11th, when you don't think you're going to be picking at one or two next year, which I don't think they will be and they don't think they will be, in my opinion, um, you've got to start finding... Yeah, <laughs> Caleb Williams, I, I hear you. But you got to start thinking outside the box a little and getting creative and being proactive, right? So I think they're trying to be proactive right now and right. Um, or at least uh, sorting through their options and whether or not it's worth being proactive, right? That's, that's all this is. And uh, I've got my opinions and my thoughts on whether or not they should you know, trade up to number three for one of these quarterbacks. And my answer is no. And I could dive more into that if you guys would like. But ultimately, uh, I, I do think the, the rumors are at least real and it's a possibility that they're exploring this option. Right. And it's more about, to me, in my opinion, it's more about let's see if any of these five guys that we could have a chance to draft, let's see if any of them are the potential franchise quarterback, future signal caller for this team. You know, that doesn't mean they're going to like any or all or none. I mean, they could come out of these meetings and be like, that guy's not our guy. Or that guy could be good in the NFL, but he's going to take some work and it's not worth trading up to number three this year and giving up the rest of those assets to go get him. Even if Anthony Richardson is the most athletic quarterback prospect in the history of the league, he's going to need time to understand how to really play the position at a high level. Do the Titans want to give him that time? Do the Titans want to take a guy like that who's not going to be instant impact and give up, you know, the potential to draft other guys that could have a more instant impact? I think they're probably sorting through all that right now. They they haven't even probably decided if they are for sure or aren't for sure trading up to number three. But I agree with that. They're definitely looking into the idea. They're going to find out how much capital it would cost to move up. In their eyes, they're probably not expecting to be, you know, they said that you said they're not expecting to be picking one or two next year. They're probably not expecting to be picking 11th next year. They're probably looking at themselves as a, you know, 20s, mid to late 20s team, even if we don't necessarily see them that way. That's the goal every year, right? You want to be playing deep into the playoffs. So I think that they're probably just saying like, you know, we may not have this opportunity next year. Let's vet these guys, find out if we want to make this investment. And, you know, obviously we'll see what they decide to do, but... To me, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think it would be worth it. That said, I would get tremendously excited if they did pull the trigger on a move like this because it means, you know, a franchise reset, the likes of which we haven't seen since 2015 when Marcus Mariota was drafted. Right, yeah. And to them, look, it comes down to this. They should do it if they think one of these guys is a bona fide franchise quarterback, right? Like that's the easy answer. Like, yeah, I don't think they should do it, but they should do it if they think they should do it, right? Like right. if they they leave a meeting with Anthony Richardson or Will Levis even, as Titans fans don't want to hear that, and they say, oh my God, like that guy blew me away. I think he's a starting quarterback for the next 12, 13 years. He could win a Super Bowl. He could this and that. Then yeah, you go get that guy, right? Like you may end up being wrong, right? But uh, teams do it all the time with conviction and end up being wrong. In fact, the last few, right? I, I think of 
of course, uh, you know, San Francisco moving up for Trey Lance probably, you know, hasn't worked out so far. It's safe to say, right? And, and some others, uh, you know, Jared Goff going back to the Rams didn't necessarily work out, although that was one of the weirdest ones ever because he took him to a Super Bowl and, that, you know, <laughs> everyone knew he wasn't very good, but uh, it goes a few different ways there. But um, the fact is teams do it all the time and they do it with conviction. Carson Wentz, right? Didn't the Eagles move up to go get him, I believe. Yeah. So um, there, there's a lot they got to take into account here. I will say a backfield with Anthony Richardson and Derrick Henry, I could see them getting excited about, although – They've got to factor in how much time Henry has left, if that's you know part of the plan. And then the thing I would worry about Richardson, in all honesty, and I think he would be their target. That's why I, I choose to focus on him a little Same. bit. Yeah, I choose to focus on him a little bit more here. I, I would be a little concerned with them going to get him, giving up the capital that it would take to get him. And then you're not really invested in his development as a passer because he's got no weapons to throw the ball to. Right. And you've given up so much capital to get them that it's going to hinder your ability to go out and get weapons. Right. And and even on the offensive line. Right. It's going to hinder your ability to protect him. Now, with that said, maybe you think, oh, he's going to offset some of that because he's so athletic. Just the way Seattle got away with it for years when Russell Wilson was an off script magician in Seattle. Right. Like maybe there's that side of it at O-line, but there's not that side of it at receiver. Right. Like you would like to get some weapons for him to throw the ball to. He's a one-year starter. That's raw, not great decision maker, you know, not ter- terrific accuracy. Old, you know, it's one discussion I haven't seen this year. Remember that, that old age discussion where it was like, if a college quarterback didn't complete like 60% of his passes or 60% of his passes, he always busts in the NFL. And there was like, it was like, it was, it was fairly accurate, right? Like if you went, I think there was like, I think it was Matt Ryan, maybe who was like the one guy that was like under that threshold and worked out. At least at the time, with maybe Josh Allen kind of debunked yeah. that, and they and they just went away, right? Because Josh Allen was so good. But uh, Anthony Richardson completed fifty three percent of his passes this past year, right? As a one year starter, it's not good, right? Not good at all. You know, right? it's it's terrible by NFL standards, right? It's really bad by college standards. So I've got some questions there. I barely have him above Will Levis. I, I do have him slightly above now, but not by much. In all honesty, one of those two would be their targets. I personally wouldn't agree with it. If they go ahead and make the move, uh, I would just hope that I'm wrong. I will put a bow on this discussion by saying that if they do decide to make this move, I don't think it will happen until draft night. I've seen some people throw around the idea that like, if they're comfortable with Richardson, they could make the move now. And then, you know, if this rumor about the Texans not drafting a quarterback at two is true, then... Maybe you get the guy the Panthers don't draft there at three. You're also going to be probably competing with a couple of teams you weren't expecting to be competing with to trade up to three because there's going to be got, there's going to be teams, you know, the Raiders and the Seahawks and anyone else that sees, oh, shoot, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud just got past the second pick. It's time to make a move for that guy. Then the, the price gets even steeper. But I will say, like, if that is the case and you can go get Bryce Young at three, I feel a lot more comfortable about that than I would if you're going to get Anthony Richardson at three. I agree. And I'll say this though, I'm convinced and I'll be doing this in all my mock drafts. I'm convinced that Bryce Young is going to go number one to the Panthers. I don't think it's going to be Stroud. I think it's going to be Young. And if the Texans were to pass on Stroud, either for Richardson, Levis, or Will Anderson, because that's the only three options. If they pass on a quarter, sorry, if they pass on Stroud or, or Young, it's for Richardson, uh, Levis or uh, Will Anderson, right? And if they pass on a quarterback, it's certainly for Will Levis. I'll, I'll guarantee that. Um, and then CJ Stroud is available. I, I do think the Titans uh, ears would perk up a little. And I think there may be, a, you know, as a former Buckeye, 
Ohio State. Vrabel's going to know him well on top of it. I think I've said this many times on this show, but I think he's the one that's got the traits that Rand Carthon has talked about publicly when I evaluating quarterbacks, right? He talked about accuracy, throwing the ball with anticipation. Stroud's the best one in this class. And I also said, I said this on radio. I think I said this on Blaine and Mickey. I don't know if I said it on here. Um, I say all this while also admitting that if all four of these quarterbacks reach their ceiling, Anthony Richardson's going to be the best one. Right, because his ceiling is oh my god, right? It's crazy, right? So again, I'm 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 saying in a scenario where all four of them reach their potential, he's got the highest potential of all of them, right? But he's probably got the highest bust factor as well of the four, right? So that's what they've got to navigate through, and, and hopefully they can do some of that through the interviews and private workouts and top thirty visits, and they'll have a good grasp on all these guys. Absolutely. With that, I think we should move on to our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden, talking about where we have beef in relation to the best beef that you can get in Nashville, which is at the pharmacy. So, Justin, you got a good beef of the week for us this week? I I do got a good beef of the week. I've seen way too many people on the timeline, on the Twitter timeline, saying all this interesting quarterback is clearly such a smokescreen. I don't know where you're getting that from. I, I honestly think it's wishful thinking. I think most Titans fans want it to be a smokescreen because they hate Will Levis. It's like, it's like Will Levis punched their grandmother in the face, every <laughs> Titans fan on Twitter. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Came up, rang, rang their doorbell, and punched grandma right in the face, and then put mayo in her coffee and made her drink it. But uh, they hate Will Levis. Uh, they don't really like Anthony Richardson either, so everyone's convinced this is a smokescreen. I think they're trying to convince themselves we don't know. Stop pretending like you know. I, I, I've got sources. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know. Um, again, they're spending so much time with all these quarterbacks. I don't think it's a smoke screen. At the very least, they're doing their due diligence. It doesn't mean they're definitely going to trade up to number three. And guess what? If they don't trade up to number three, you don't get to celebrate on the timeline and say, I know it was a smoke screen all along. That's right. not what that means, right? It could very well be they did their due diligence. They don't like the guys that are available. They, they're not going to be able to trade up to one or two. And even though we talked about the Texans scenario, we agree they'll, the Texans probably will take a quarterback. So if two quarterbacks are gone, there's only two of them left, really. And they may not like any of those two, right? So we don't know what's going to happen. But if you're calling this a smoke screen, you're guaranteeing it's a smoke screen. I got beef with you. I do, too. I think that that's a ridiculous thing to just be so confident about. And uh, you summed it up well, so I won't add anything else. That was the beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Okay, Justin, let's get to what we are teasing in the beginning here. Let's talk about some wide receivers. Now, I went through your latest top 100 big board, and that was a pre-combined big board, so I'm sure a few few little things have changed. I know you'll probably put out one more before the draft where some of these updates might come into focus, but... On that top 100, you had 14 wide receivers. I'd like to go through them now. We'll spend more time on some than we will on others. And then if we have time at the end, maybe we'll we'll talk about a handful of other guys. But the number one receiver on your big board is Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba. He measured in at six foot and uh, six eighths of an inch. So just under six one, 196 pounds, under 200 pounds. You know, it's never really, 
ideal for a wide receiver, but I think that with his body type, he can make it work. He wasn't a super explosive athlete in terms of his, uh, his 40 time, his, uh, his, his broad jump, his vertical jump, you know, they were more like average numbers than anything special, but his three cone time came in at six, five, seven, that elite change of direction ability. Why is Jackson Smith and Jigba your number one receiver? And is he worth the 11th overall pick? in a scenario where the Titans don't decide to trade up to three. Well, you kind of said it. He's my number one receiver because that, that three cone, that change of direction, I think he's an elite route runner. I, I think um, he's very technically advanced. He's savvy. I, I think he's the cleanest evaluation for me uh, of the top of this receiver class. He is my number one receiver. That'll remain the case when I drop my final big board. Um, I do have some concerns. I do, right? Number one, of course, would be the injury. Um, you're talking yeah. about a guy with a, a slender frame here. There's always some injury concern with that. He only played what three or four games this past year. And it was a, yeah, three. And it was a recurring hamstring um, injury, which the Titans are going to love, right? Like that's <laughs> going to be music to their ears with all the hamstrings they've had in recent years. Um, obviously, you know, when everyone wants a Calvin Johnson, right? Of course they can't all be, you know, six, four, 210 pounds in a freak of nature. And he's not that guy, right? So he, he doesn't quite, check the physical boxes that you'd love to have in a number one receiver. And that might limit some of his upside at the next level. Right. But so I, I do really like him. He's my number one guy. I, I love his route running ability. I think he's so technically savvy. Um, he knows how to get open. The change of direction really does show up when he's running routes, not a straight line guy, not a vertical guy, not going to take the top off the 40 time. Like everyone had low expectations, right? Like it ended up being like a four, five, two, and everyone was like so around that. And it was at Ohio State's Pro Day, right? It wasn't at the combine. Right. He didn't run it at the combine, which raised some eyebrows. And a 4-5-2, which is like, you know, typically doesn't get people super excited. But expectations were kind of so low that everyone was like, okay, that's good enough. Like, I'm thrilled with that, right? And it right. is good enough. It, it really is, especially for a receiver of his abilities, um, you know, in, in the route running area. But is he worth 11? Honestly, like, I, I really like the player. I don't think he's a top 11 prospect in the draft overall. Um, I do. Con I am concerned with the slender frame. The fact that you don't say, wow, right. When you look at the physical abilities, again, that's from a height, weight, speed perspective. None of it's going to impress you particularly. Um, you worry about the recurring injury a little bit. And, and I do wonder, um, is he going to be a slot only guy at the next level? Right? I think that's within the realm of possibility. Again, I, I do like him quite a bit. I, I'm always going to put route running number one. Right, most important trait in the receiver. I think he's got it in bunches, and you see it right? the way he gets in and out of his breaks. It's reflected in that three cone time. Um, I, I do like him. He's my number one, but I, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying if I said there weren't question marks. Here. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think you know the things he does well. He does extremely well. He, he is his route running, change of direction, his ability to find the soft spot in a zone is all just like top of the class. And that's why he's, you know, a lot of people's number one wide receiver, but the concerns are very real. And the biggest question to me is, is he a slot only guy or can he win on the outside? And most of the, the routes he ran at Ohio state were from a position where he did not face, you know, any type of press coverage, hardly even faced a lot of man coverage, just the way that Ohio state used him. A lot of his routes are coming out of the backfield in motion before the snap to give him a free release he is a, a yak beast, and that's one area where I do think the Titans would be interested in him is that, you know, 
you know, John Robinson loved the Yak Beasts. You look at San Francisco's roster, it's all Yak Beasts uh, as pass catchers. So I do think that there will be some carryover in that regard and that Rand Carthon could, you know, like that element of it. But then there's the, the things that keep him from being a super elite receiver is like he does get caught from behind. He's not the kind of guy that's going to break a 50-yard play and turn it into a 50-yard touchdown. He might break a 50-yard play, but he's getting run down at the 20-yard line, right? And a few there were a few games where he, you know, was incredible and he did finish long plays to the end zone. You look at the Utah game where he set the FBS bull record for receiving yards in a game with like 357 yards or something like that. And a guy who can do that is going to have big productive moments in the NFL for sure. The question to me is if he can do it consistently and if he can stay healthy. And I think I'm scared enough by those concerns that I don't think, you know, the drop off from him to some of the guys that you'll find on day two, I don't think is enough to warrant that 11th overall pick like there's no jamar chase in this class jackson smith and jigba is not that level of prospect he could be you know he could enter the league and set it on fire the way justin jefferson did there's no doubt about it he could potentially do something like that but he could also be an inconsistent guy who has big games and then disappears for long stretches and you know could take some time to adjust to the physicality of the nfl given his you know his frame and I think that's where the concerns lie for me. But I do think the Titans are going to vet him hard and, and ha- will have interest in him if they decide to stay at 11. Yeah, I, I do think it's a possibility. Another Buckeye for Mike Vrabel, right? Yeah. One thing that's interesting is that Brian Hartline, receivers coach at, at Ohio State, he was asked to rank all the receivers he's coached. On Bussing with the State. Boys. Yeah, on Bussing with the Boys. That's right, it was Bussing with the Boys. I forgot. Um, and he ranked Marvin Harrison Jr. one, and he ranks Jackson Smith and Jigba two ahead of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are both first rounders and, and had very good rookie se- very, very good rookie right. seasons, right? So that is interesting. I will add, um, part of me wonders if it's a position coach going to bat for his guy that's in the draft this year. You know what right. I mean? Like coaches are always going to, um, you know, try to place the current prospects on a bit of a pedestal. I'd love to know if that really is his true opinion. He claims it is, but I wish all three of them were in the draft this year, right? JSN, right. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and, and, and to hear how he would handle that quite, he probably would decline to answer in all honesty, <laughs> but um, I, it was interesting and it's worth noting. And I will also say, you know, I watched a lot of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson last year and Jackson Smith and Jigba pops. I mean, I remember Led the not, team. Led the team yeah. in receiving, right? Yeah, he outproduced, yards, all of it. he outproduced those two guys. Garrett Wilson won Rookie of the Year. Chris Olave maybe could have won Rookie of the Year in a better offense with a better quarterback this past season. And, you know, when I was watching those guys, I wasn't fully aware of who Jackson Smith and Jigba was. But I kept saying, damn, who's this number 11? Who's this guy that keeps making? He's wide open every oh, time he catches instead, the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime a guy catches your eye that you're not specifically scouting for, you got to take note of that. And I do think that that's a big deal. Um, and outproducing guys that were, you know, already, you know, NFL level receivers, I think is important. And those two guys also said that JSN was better than they were. Right. And they didn't say that this year. They said that before they came into the league last right. year. Yeah. So I think there is some merit to the idea that, you know, he could be a, a huge hit, but I think there's a lot of risk there, which is where this, you know, I get scared. Let's talk about the number two guy on your wide receiver board. TCU's Quinton Johnston, who, uh, you know, he's listed at 6'4". I was watching some tape and heard announcers say he's a 6'5 monster, came into the combine and measured at 6'2 and 3 quarters. So not quite 6'4", not even 6'3", but he's a big guy, 6'2 and 3 quarters, 208 pounds. He 
he timed pretty well um, in the, what did he run the 40 in? Four five flat, Four I think. five, yeah. He, I mean, it was good enough, his 40 time. He was explosive in the vertical jump and the broad jump. His doesn't have the biggest hands for a guy of that size, but his wingspan is incredible. The thing about Quinton Johnson to me is you're going to have to convince me that he deserves to be your number two guy because I think that he adds a lot of dynamic ability to an offense with his after-the-catch receiving ability. But if you told me that he was 5'10", you know, I mean, you know, you can see him, you know, towering over people on tape, but he plays to me like a guy who is closer to 5'9", 5'10", than a guy who's like 6'3". He's not going to be your jump ball in the red zone, 6'3", big receiver. He's not like DK Metcalf in terms of his ability to make those contested catches downfield. And in fact, if you look at the advanced metrics, he was pretty bad in terms of his overall contested catch rate. I just think he's a really limited receiver and I wouldn't draft him in the first round. He'll probably end up going in the first round. But to me, he reminds me of these guys that are big size speed freaks that can't really play the position all that well that we've seen come out of the, you know, in recent years. He's, I know Jalen Rager is a small guy, but he reminds me of Jalen Rager. He's like a guy I think you're going to have to give him the ball and designed screen touches and, and end around type plays and use his yard after catch ability. But in terms of his actual receiver, like, Ability to run a route tree and make those big plays downfield and his ball skills leave a lot to be desired to me. Like, convince me right now why Quentin Johnston is your number two guy. Well, I'm not going to do that in all honesty because even though he probably still is my number two, I remember scouting him several, several months ago when he was like the consensus number one receiver in this draft where everyone was losing their mind about him. And I was not like, I did not, I was not blown away in all honesty. I never was even way before the combine. I saw a vertical guy take the top off incredible speed down the field. But I saw a guy that I, I was concerned with change of direction, ability to sink hips, create separation. So important. We've seen those types fail before. Right? So what happens to him? He enters the pre-draft, uh, you know, enters the pre-draft process and, Oh my God, he's 6'4", he's going to run 4'3", he's 220 pounds. Well, he's actually 6'2 and 3 quarters, 208 and runs a 4'5". Right. right. So I, I saw someone on Twitter say, how come everyone's, you know, shitting on Quentin Johnson for running a 4'5", but we're celebrating Jackson Smith and Jigba doing the same. It's all about managing expectations, right? Everyone thought QJ was going to run 4'3", and with Jackson Smith, it was like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't run 4'6". Right. <laughs> well, they're both 4'5". Right. So it, that's a good thing for one of them and not so good thing for the other. So I, I do have my concerns with him. He'll probably still my number two receiver. Look, 40 and a half inch vert, 11 foot two broad. There are some great things here. I've been worried about him the entire time, was never super, super high on him. As of now, I got like a mid to late first round grade on him. It's just good enough to still be my number two receiver as of now. Yeah. And another thing, honestly, that I do like about Johnston is when he does catch the ball and turn up field, it's like instantaneous that he hits top gear. I feel like he really accelerates with the ball in his hand. I, I think that he has ability to make people miss in space. I just worry about his ability to actually play the receiver position. Okay, let's move on and let's speed things up a little bit because if we want to get through, you know, 15 more guys here, we're going to have to take less time with each one. Um, the next guy on your board is Jordan Addison who was Kenny Pickett's number one target at Pitt, transferred to USC and became Caleb Williams' number one target. He's a 5'11 and 1'8", 173 pounds. And that's going to be a theme as we go through these guys is, you know, a lot of these receivers are under six feet, under 175 pounds. 
Uh, we had Josh Norris on Around the NFL today breaking down wide receivers, funnily enough, actually. And he revealed this nugget. In the like the last 30-something years, there have been 32 wide receivers enter the NFL draft at 173 pounds or lighter. This year, we have like 15 guys in that range. Wow. It's crazy. Um, Jordan Addison ran a 4.49. He looks faster than that on tape, I think. Um, I think he looks like a low 4.4 guy. And he was very productive, downfield threat, and catching screens and taking them, you know, a go-to guy for Caleb Williams. Why do you like Jordan Addison? And, you know, I think this is maybe the cutoff point because as we go down the board, you know, these guys get, you know, later and later into the draft. Is there a chance he's picked in the top 15 or an option at number 11? Or are we talking about a potential trade back scenario? Like, is Jordan Addison even a guy that the Titans are going to be in range to draft with where they're picking right now? No, I don't think so. I don't think he goes uh, 11th overall. I'm starting to question if he goes in the first round at all, in all honesty. This has just not been a very good process for him, right? 5'11", 173, he's got small hands, he's got short arms. And when you're that size and, and run a 4'49", it's not impressive, right? And then a 34-inch vertical is, you know, real disappointing testing all around for him. The selling points are turn the tape on and actually watch him play football, right? He's the Belitnikov, former Belitnikov winner, uh, was outstanding in 2021 at Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett. Um, transfers to USC. Don't think it went as well as he thought it was going to, right? And that's a question I would have for him if I was an NFL team. He had a good year, you know, and he had some injuries too, was limited, but you know, you're going to you're transferred away from where you had so much success. You did it to go play with Lincoln Riley, to be in California, probably get more NIL money, to play with Caleb Williams, and you don't put up these godly numbers, even though you've got a better quarterback, a better head coach, a better system, and all that. That's a question I have for him. He's a really good route runner, right? That that's what it comes down to. Again, you watch you just watch him get open, and, and that's what he does. He's he's got some pretty good run after catchability as well. He he looks like a twitchy athlete on tape. Right, even though he didn't test as well as you'd like, but I do have questions here. I got questions about the frame. Uh, when you're, you know, when you've got such lackluster size, I'd love for you to be an unbelievable elite athlete, and he's not that. Right, the testing reveals that, and I don't think like the tape shows some crazy, crazy athlete. I think the testing was fairly in line because, again, like JSN, I think he relies more on his route running ability, to, and, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like good route runners are better than freak athletes all the time. Right. Cooper cup was not a very good athlete. Right. If I recall correctly, can run the shit out of a route though. Right. And, and that's why Cooper cup is a, a MVP caliber type player. So, uh, but I, I do have concerns here with the size and some of the other things. I, I definitely not a top 11 player on my board. And uh, I, I am starting to question if he's a first round receiver at all. I, I fully agree with that too. And again, it comes back down to like, what is their role? And specifically when we're talking about receivers for the Titans, if they're a slot only guy, Number one, the Titans drafted a slot-only guy in the fifth round last year, and I don't think Kyle Phillips is a player that would prevent you from drafting a you know a better player at wide receiver if you think that there is one. But we'll see what the Titans' offense looks like, but how much is a slot wide receiver going to be on the field? 50% of the snaps? 60% of the snaps? Maybe not even that much? So if you're going to draft a guy who, who really is limited to the slot, maybe they can play outside occasionally, but for the most part, limited to the slot where do you draft that guy and is it worth it for the Titans? We saw the previous general manager value that as a fifth round pick. Obviously Kyle Phillips got hurt in the first game and didn't do much the rest of the year, but that's the kind of question you have to ask. And with a guy like Jordan Addison, who was a slot only guy at Pitt, moved around a bit more at USC. 
that I mean, that's a huge question that that you have to be comfortable with being being willing to draft someone like that. Let's move on now and talk about the next guy on your on your list. North Carolina's Josh Downs, who a lot of people like Josh Downs. A lot of people like him a lot, despite the fact that he's 5'9 and 1 8 inches, 171 pounds. He ran the 40 and 448. Four, 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 His 10 yard split was incredible. A 193, or sorry, a 149 10 yard split, which is 93, 93rd percentile amongst all wide receivers in the, you know, the database history. That's pretty explosive first 10 yards. And his contested catch winning ability you know if i if i said quentin johnston plays like he's 510 i think josh downs plays like he's 62 but the question is will that translate against nfl level defenders so i'm about to throw everything out the window that i said about small receivers because i am biased and i could do whatever i want uh i really i'm an adult uh, i really love josh <laughs> downs i do I, I i'm not gonna pretend like i don't uh, the tape blew me away. To answer your question quickly about the contested catches, no, I don't imagine uh, those numbers as amazing as they are. I, I have a hard time believing it you know, translates to the next level, at least at that rate. I love him. I love him on tape. Blows me away. He's dynamic. Um, the testing was incredible. You said the 10-yard split was amazing. Um, one thing we don't talk about enough when it comes to the combine, because you can't put a number to it, go back if you can, watch the combine, watch him run the gauntlet drill. He was unbelievable. He was the best receiver in Indianapolis running the gauntlet. He's just a freaking ball player. I, I, lo- I love, love, love him. I've had a top 32 grade on him essentially the entire time. He's dynamic. He wins at every level, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, his hips are incredible. Uh, Shakira, his hips don't lie. Change <laughs> of direction is unbelievable. I love him. I do. I really do. And no, you're not going to take him at 11. If he's there at 41, if I was the GM, I would race the card up to the podium. And he met with the Titans. Where did he meet with them? At, at his pro day? Is that right? Or did he meet with them at the combine? I know he met with the Titans, so the Titans yeah, definitely said, have interest he here. He said something about meeting them, but I can't remember where it was. But he has met with them. That's correct. Is this an option for you know the second round here? If the Titans don't take a receiver up top or if they don't Should trade be. the pick, obviously. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be there at 41. I oh, don't wow. think. Um, he can, but uh, I imagine he goes early 30s. But uh, yeah, if he's there, uh, for me personally, I, I'd, I'd run the cards to the podium. I uh, just did a little search, and it appears they did meet with Josh Downs at his pro day. So this is definitely one of the guys to watch here on the Titans uh, Not list a lot of, of talent there either at North right. Carolina. So he was the number one guy they went to go watch. I think there's an old lineman or two, but not, not a ton of guys to go down there and watch. So I imagine he had the majority of their attention. And playing with Drake May there is, you know, a little glimpse into the future connection. Drake May to Josh Downs for the Titans? No? Probably not. Okay, let's move on here. Talk about the next guy on your list. Tennessee's own Jalen Hyatt. And, um, you know, there's some mixed reviews out there about Jalen Hyatt. Six foot, one-eighth of an inch. I believe he's Lance Zierlein's number one receiver. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. He ran a 4-4, 40-yard dash. Had a huge season for Tennessee, especially in the touchdown department. Most of the listeners of this podcast are probably familiar. Where do you like Jalen Hyatt to go in this draft? And is he a target for the Titans at 41? Hyatt probably goes higher than we think, right? Just because mm-hmm. speed is coveted in bunches. He had a 40-inch vertical, 11-foot, 3-broad. That is unbelievable, right? And the shuttle, too, 1.5 flat was elite. I think the 40, you know, 4-4 somehow ended up being disappointing for people because he looks like he could be a 4-2-5 guy on tape or a 4-2-8. But again, you know, 4-4 at, at 6-foot, uh, I, I don't think is bad, but 4-4 flat it was, right? Um, can take the top off. That's what you're drafting him to do. 
Mike Vrabel's talked about needing an injection of speed. I wouldn't write it off. I wouldn't write off him going in the first round. It feels like that chatter has dwindled a little in recent weeks. I still think it's a possibility because the top of this receiver class leaves so much to be desired, right? There are going to be teams that probably hate JSN, hate Addison, don't like uh, Quinton Johnson. Few of them are going to say, I'll take the speed guy, right? The guy that's going to open things up for us. He's that guy. Speed in bunches, changes the game. He scares me. He does, right? Like the, uh, you've seen the numbers probably on Twitter, how he's like never really faced press coverage. Tennessee's offense was all, you know, what we said about Hendon Hooker last week, right? The manufactured spacing, it lacks NFL concepts, half field reads. Like it's, it's, he's not going to encounter really anything at the NFL level um, that he did at Tennessee. That scares the shit out of me. But the speed, uh, there's no doubt about it. Maybe I'm overcomplicating the process, right? Just let him run in a straight line, let him run real fast. A lot of DBs are going to struggle to keep up with him. I remember overcomplicating Will Fuller, right? And if Fuller, when, when Fuller was healthy, he did prove us wrong, right? He was really good running in a straight line and teams couldn't keep up with him. Draft a guy to do what he's good at doing, right? So if you sometimes can simplify the process, I think if you put Jalen Hyde in the right situation, if he lands in Kansas City, for example, he's probably going to have a lot of success running past DBs with Patrick Mahomes throwing the deep ball to him, especially with Kelsey opening stuff up underneath, you know, yada, yada, getting safeties to creep down. Um, It's hard for me to get a gauge on him. He's been mocked to the Titans very frequently in two-round mock drafts. That's an easy one, right? They need a receiver. If you had them drafting O-line at 11 and you're doing a mock draft, you probably have them going receiver at 41. Local connection with Tennessee. They need speed. Um, I, I, I love the speed. I'd be stupid not to. I've got questions about the acclimation. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying 100%. I think, you know, you're looking at traits and you're trying to project, can this guy, you know, take those traits and capitalize them on at the NFL level? Because we haven't seen him do it really in a way that he will need to do it in the NFL. There's a lot of just like running to schemed open space, like you said, or just running straight down the field and, you know, outrunning college level DBs, which is a lot harder at the next level. So I would probably be out on Jalen Hyatt as a, as a target for the Titans, but if they can't, if they feel like acquiring that speed is going to help them that much, then maybe it's the way to go. Let's move on now and talk about Rishi Rice, the SMU wide receiver, who a lot of people uh, I've noticed on Titans Twitter are very big fans of him. I think you know the combination of where you, he's projected to go in the draft with his skill set makes him very tantalizing because he feels like he could be a guy that turns out to be a steal, a great value type of player. He's six foot and a and half an inch, two hundred and four pounds, so one of the rare guys over two hundred pounds in this class. And he ran a four five one at that speed, a forty one inch vertical jump, explosive player. Why do you like Rishi Rice? Uh, so I do, I do like him, but let me start by saying this hasn't been a very good pre-draft process for him. In my opinion, he was getting some late first round buzz several months ago. I think the two things that are most disappointing is that he was listed at six, three at SMU. So he was one of the few guys that came in three inches shorter, <laughs> right? That's significant, right? Everyone think he thinks he's six, two, six, three. He's actually six foot flat. And then on paper, he was by far the best receiver uh, that attended the senior bowl on paper, but it didn't look like that when he got there, right? Mm. Like he did not take advantage of that week and, and, and establish himself as the clear cut best receiver in mobile. So it hasn't been the greatest process for him. When I watch on tape, there are things I like, look, he was one of the most dynamic players in college football, 
certainly at the receiver position. He's got long speed for days. I think that was, uh, you know, the 40 was good enough at the 4.51 at his size. Really good after the catch. You talked about that earlier. Great ball skills. Uh, he, he's a good blocker, which we know the Titans value. So you got to take that into account. Um, I always have questions about SMU receivers, and I've done it ever since. You know, really, there's been a lot of them, right? I know Corlin Sutton kind of panned out, but remember like Trey Quinn and, and Danny Gray. Carthon was in San Fran when they took Danny Gray, I think top 100 recently, and that hasn't looked very good yet. There's still time, but uh, SMU, super simple route tree. They're not, and uh, they're not route running technicians. They just aren't. I've spoken to him. My honest opinion is he, he came off a little raw to me, especially mm-hmm. as I, I, I tried discussing, you know, details about running routes with him. I wasn't blown away in all honesty um, uh, with that, but that that's SMU, right? That's what they do. Um, explosive abilities, but hasn't been the greatest process for him. And uh, I, I don't think he's a first round. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you there too. I, I don't think, I think we're, we've ended the first round pick discussion here as we continue to right. talk about these guys. This is more for second and even third round. Um, let's move on to the next guy on your list. LSU wide receiver, Kayshawn Booty, <laughs> Boutte. looks like Booty. <laughs> Kayshawn Boutte, um, 5'11 and one eighth of an inch, another uh, sub 200 pound guy at 195. He ran the 40 uh, in 4.5 seconds. So again, decent, not, not amazing. His overall athletic, you know, ability looks more like average to below average, but um, why do you have him next? I mean, there's a lot of guys on your list here that we hopefully will have time to get to that people like a lot, you know, Zay Flowers, Cedric Tillman. Why do you have Boutte above those guys? I don't anymore. He was Ooh. he was barely clinging on to that spot before the combine. Then he went out and had a historically bad combine, a 29-inch <laughs> vertical. Uh, the broad was bad too, right? Not nine, nine foot, ten inch. The 40 was whatever, you know, four or five flat. It was it was a bad performance at the combine. And then he went to pro day and decided to stand on those numbers. Didn't right. do those drills again. I don't know why you'd stand on those numbers when they're not good to begin with. For reference, that vertical jump is two percentile. Yeah. That means 98% of receivers who enter the draft are have a higher vertical jump. <laughs> 29-inch. It's crazy bad, right? I yeah. mean, it's almost unbelievable. I have a higher um, vertical jump than that. <laughs> this was a guy going in I had a lot of questions about, not just athletically, but once that got added to the picture, I was all the way out. Why well, I've bumped him way down my final big board, way down from where you're seeing him right now. I had questions about maturity. I, I, I don't know anything personally but if you follow his story there were some weird scenarios at LSU right like I think he announced he was uh sitting out or something like that and then he was coming back and then he declared and he came back to LSU like there was maturity questions I think he posted something on Instagram that uh, he wasn't happy with the team or the lack of targets and things of that nature and deleted everything LSU related <laughs> off his Instagram so I had these maturity questions and then you add these athletic questions um, to the forefront, and I'm, I'm 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 pretty much all the way out on this guy. Cool. So let's move on then and talk about a guy that you have called underrated in this process. He was next, the next receiver on your initial big board or your 3.0 big board. I'm obviously talking about another Tennessee player in Cedric Tillman, one of the you know biggest guys in this class, measured in at six foot three inches, uh, 213 pounds, ran a four five four forty, decent vertical, decent, pretty good broad jump, um, big hands, ten inch hands, which you always like to see. Didn't play a lot this past season. 
Um, but two years ago, outproduced Jalen Hyatt, who we're talking about as a potential first-round pick. Talk me through Cedric Tillman. I love him. He's one of my guys in this class, one of my top guys. I put him right up there with Josh Downs, with how much I like him. He talked about how all these guys are smaller in this class. Well, he's 6'3", 215, right? He's a big, big guy. If you are looking for a big, dominant boundary guy, he is your man. 4'5", 440, sure, might leave. You know, it's not, it's not terrific. It's certainly more than good enough at that size. 10-yard shuttle was a 153 right? That, that 10 yard split. So that's, that's pretty damn good, especially for a four, five, four. I love his game. I think he's being severely underrated. As you said, I said, um, a thousand yards in 2021. I, I think we're overthinking him. I, I really like him a thousand yard. He was the first thousand yard receiver at Tennessee in nearly a decade. He broke, I think it was a nine year drought. I like him probably a little more than I like Jalen Hyatt. In all honesty, I, I just get the speed factor with Hyatt. I get it, but I'm a huge fan of this guy. He's on my short list of like three or four receivers. I would love to see the Titans draft. I don't think it's too early at 41. I really don't. Uh, I'm going to have like a borderline top 50 grade on him. And if they were to take him at 41, I would be thrilled. I'm with you on that. I I love Cedric Tillman. I think he's being underrated. I've seen, you know, uh, Josh Norris underdog fantasy has him as his number four guy. And I feel like that's a lot higher than the consensus, but I kind of, I kind of get it. And I, and I'm, you know, I think that he is being vastly underrated out there. Let's talk about a, another guy that a lot of Titans fans are, you know, I would say in love with. I've seen him as the number one receiver on some people's boards, which frankly, I don't exactly get. Talk me through Zay Flowers. Why do people love him? What are the concerns here? Uh, I've had a harder time being convinced. They do love him. There are a lot of people, like he's got so many fans and not just on Twitter, league wide circles, five, nine, one eighty two. That's tough for me, man. It is like, it's, it's a big man's football league, right? I know I praise Josh down. So maybe I sound a little uh, you know, like I'm contradicting myself here, but it is a big guy's league. I, I've got questions. If he can handle the physicality, can he play outside? There are a lot of people who are calling him Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, he's going to be that good. He's going to be Antonio Brown. He can play inside, outside. You can't keep up with him. And there are some big analytical stats on him. Uh, but I do think he benefited a little from off coverage, free releases, 11% drop rate in college. That's high, right? 11% is high. I, I worry, man, is he a slot only guy, manufactured touch guy? You know, you got to bring him in pre-snap motion. He's obviously very dynamic. The, the athletic abilities are electric. He's a run after catch threat, no doubt about it. But, you know, the undersized has me questioning and the way he was used with the free releases and stuff. I'm questioning if he could play a, you know, a traditional receiver role at the next level. Um, at this, it's a weird thing for me to say, but he may be the one really this year that makes me look like the biggest idiot out of anyone I've talked about today, because I swear to God, there are people who think he's going to be the best receiver in this class. One of the best receivers in the NFL. That's how high some people are on him. I've had a harder time getting on board. I am starting to think he's going to be a first-round pick. I don't know if the hype train has just gotten out of control, and I'm, I'm buying into that. Um, I'm not buying into my, the personal evaluation of him. I do think he's like an early second uh, for me, but uh, I don't have a first-round grade, and he might still end up there anyway. 
Yeah, right. I mean, he he has some pretty nice highlight reel catches on his tape. The question to me is like, can he be a consistent? Is he a wide receiver one in the NFL? I mean, how many right. guys at five nine can can really be that? And it's not his fault that he's smaller. And you know, he plays like he you know he plays pretty big for a guy his size, and he runs pretty smooth routes uh, a lot of the times. But I I definitely think he could find himself in like a gadget manufactured touch kind of role which to me is not worth the first round pick especially when you know this class is full of guys that are his size and and have similar ability to him that might be a little better suited to play uh, a, a bigger role in an offense let's move on to iowa state's top wide receiver another bigger guy in this class xavier hutchinson measured in at six foot one and seven eighths so just about six foot two 203 pounds another guy right in that four five range four five three forty um he ran a really impressive three cone drill i thought for a guy his size six nine one in the three cone um what do you make of the uh, Xavier Hutchinson? Is this the line we're starting to toe to getting towards, you know, more likely a third round pick, or is this someone who could, who could sneak into the second? Yeah, I think he's a late two, early three, or, you know, that 60 to 75 range is where I have him. Another guy that came in a little smaller was listed at six, three at Iowa state. Yeah. What I like about him is the production, right? And I know production, it doesn't always translate, but I like that he was the focal point of an offense, right? He had 107 catches this year. That's ridiculous. I believe it's the all time single season record at Iowa state production, production, production. Anytime they needed a first down, a touchdown, a, a, you name it, they're in the red zone. They looked his way and he often delivered. I think he's an average athlete at best. I think he's got, you know, a good release package. He's very nuanced route runner. You saw that on tape. That's what led to all the production. I hate doing this because I'll, I'll probably be accused of helmet scouting. Reminds me a little of Alan Lazard because mm-hmm. I, I do think he's also a vertical guy um, like Lazard was there. Lazard went undrafted though. And I, I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around why yeah. he obviously is a lot better than an undrafted guy as we've seen. Um, I think this guy's probably a, a, a early three um, I do think we're towing that line now between second and three. Again, I like the production. I like the route running. I think he's kind of an average athlete, probably won't be an elite separator by any stretch, but he also eats up a lot of grass, right? He's got those long strides. He is a bigger guy. Like it's helped Alan Lazard. I think it will help him make some plays down the field. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. All right, let's move on. And we're going to spend a tiny bit more time on this next guy because the Titans have been linked to him quite a bit. I Ooh, believe you I are pretty familiar yeah. with this player. He is uh, Cincinnati's Tyler Scott, another guy, 5'9", five, 5'9", nine, five, nine and 5 eighths of an inch, 177 pounds. He did run the, the 40 and 4'4", four, 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 so a pretty great 40 time. Although at 5'9", you know, that's... A lot of years we've seen guys 5'9 running four threes, and we didn't really get any four three guys in this year's class. So let's talk about Tyler Scott and why we're going to tell me why we're going to spend a little more time on him here than than some of these other guys. Well, he ran four three at his pro day, by the way, which is really interesting. And I asked him about the uh, why the discrepancy there, and he gave me a really good answer. You should just go read it because it's probably too long for me to tell you. That interview is available right now on the draftnetwork.com. Um, I'm blown away with this kid. He's the best interview I've done this year. Wow. And I've done uh, like 100 already. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm around 100, I think, already for the year, but dating back to January. Uh, a student of the game. Unbelievable football IQ. I was on the phone with him for like 40 minutes. It was, it was such a long conversation. 
Um, I, you know, I said, speed is your X factor. And then, you know, tell me about your speed. Then he gave me like a nine minute answer about why speed doesn't matter if you can't read leverage and you can't run routes and you can't th- like, he's just a student of the game. He loves ball. And I've heard that Mike Vrabel really likes him. I've heard mm. Mike Vrabel likes him a lot. And then I got off the phone with him and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I like him a lot, right? <laughs> it's easy to like him. He's so likable. They went out to dinner with him the night before Cincinnati's pro day, Mike Vrabel took him out to dinner. Also present for that dinner was Tim Kelly um, and several members of the scouting staff. So this was a, you know, a, a big group that took him to dinner. I'm told the dinner went well. Why wouldn't it? As I said, as I spoke to him, I'm like, wow, this guy loves football and he knows everything there is to know about playing receiver at a high level. Like everything he said to me about running routes, creating leverage, uh, like it, I was really, really blown away. I can't recommend that interview enough because it was, it, it, he carried it, right? He's just, he's so good. Um, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too much uh, after that conversation, but he had some second round buzz a few months ago. And uh, after speaking with him, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he's their pick at 41. In all honesty, I just, I, I do think he's going to go in the second because he's, he's, he's got four, three speed. I don't think that four, four was him. I don't think that was legit. Um, he's got four, three, three speed. And uh, he's going to blow teams away when he gets in the interview room. And everyone likes speed. Everyone likes football character. He's got it in bunches. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes 41. He also had a, a nearly 40-inch vertical and a 133-inch broad jump, which is 96th percentile. So although he's you know 5'9", he plays pretty big, and he's got the explosiveness to get up there and make some plays despite he, he his, could, his size. And he could play outside. I don't think he's a slot-only guy. That's, that's my opinion. I think he'll live on the boundary. Um, at the next level. I think that's really important. We'll see. Uh, but I do think he can play outside. Let's talk about um, a few guys here quickly. We're going to run through the next three quickly, and then I'll, we'll spend a, a little bit more time on someone else as we go. Um, the next guy on your other big, you know, your 3.0 big board was Marvin Mims Jr. out of Oklahoma. Another guy that's a uh, kind of maybe a slot guy, maybe an outside guy, kind of a tweener, 5'11 and a quarter of an inch, 183 pounds. He ran the 40 at 438 speed. Um, and Danny Kelly of the the Ringer, who does their fantasy analyst and draft analysis, called Marvin Mims uh, Jordan discount Jordan Addison and said, why take Jordan Addison in the first if you can take Marvin Mims in the second? What do you think of uh, the Oklahoma receiver? Well, he's dynamic and the testing was elite. In addition to what you mentioned, the 40, 39 and a half inch vert, 10 foot, nine inch broad, 6.90 three cone. Yeah. That is ridiculous. One, five, five, 10 yard shuttle. The testing's unbelievable. There's no doubt about it. On tape, he's an explosive playmaker, run after catch guy, creates vertical separation. Um, I, I, again, I question, uh, can he fight through contact as a route runner? That's not something I saw on tape. Again, Oklahoma, you're always going to have some more gimmicky concepts he might be a slot only guy. Um, I don't know that he's an every down receiver. I, I raised those same questions. Look at the way Sky Moore worked out. Sky Moore right now is a, a smaller receiver that I loved. Sky Moore looks like he might just be a manufactured touch guy after year one, right? I have the same concern about Marvin Mims. Is he a traditional guy or is he just a really good athlete that I'm going to have to design the occasional touch for, but is, you know, only gives me 18% of my snaps on a weekly basis. Right. I get Mecole Hardman vibes from, uh, from him. Right. I think that's, that's fair. Um, I'm going to skip a few guys here because I really want to get to tank Dell, Nathaniel tank Dell, yeah. who was reported on Monday that the Titans are lining up a, a meeting or a visit with him. He's another small guy, five, eight and three eighths of an inch, 165 pounds. 
which is one percentile. That means 99% of receivers weigh more than him entering the NFL draft. Um, but he's a guy that gets open. He ran the 40 and a 4.49. You would expect a 5.8 guy to run a bit faster than that. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot faster than that. Um, and only a 121-inch broad jump, which is 50th percentile. So he's not even that explosive. But in PFF's, you know, data tracking that they have a, a stat that measures how many, what percentage of your targets were open or wide open. And he led, he leads the class in that stat. So this guy gets open. The question is, can he get open and stay healthy and, you know, survive contact against NFL defenders? Uh, PFF's Sam Monson has him as his number four receiver. Wow. Which is pretty high in my opinion for a guy uh, with this body type. But the Titans are obviously interested because they're meeting with him. So what do you think? Yeah, they're bringing him in for a top 30 visit, right? So that's a big deal. Um, look, he made a lot of money at the Senior Bowl because he was always open. He was always making plays. You, you know who else was always open at the Senior Bowl? It was Calvin Austin last year at Memphis, who was a similar-sized guy because that's an environment where you know, receivers thrive in, right? Those one-on-one -on -one drills, I talk about it all the time. Calvin Austin didn't do a whole lot as a rookie. In fact, he pretty much did nothing, in all honesty. Again, the jury's still out. It's only been one year. I, I, I am worried. I, I don't think this is a guy I would take in the second or third round, right? You're talking 163 pounds, 5'8". The combine testing wasn't good. I, I do think he's a good route runner. I do think he can create separation, get open. I do think that he's a better athlete than testing indicates. You should go read the interview I just did with him at the Draft Network as well. It was, it was really good. Um, he gave me some great answers, specifically about his size. I asked about it, and he gave me an, an amazing answer that I really liked. I do like him. I wouldn't take him before like the back end of the third round, uh, maybe even early four. I'm not as high. I, I, I can't take him in the second round. He, he can't be my fourth ranked receiver. I just can't at five, eight, one sixty three. I've, I've seen, I I've been, I got got way too many times by receivers around that size to keep making the same mistake over and over again. Um, I, I, there's just a lot of questions here and I, 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 I truly wonder if he gets drafted in the top 100. I mean, we'll see it's yeah. possible, but. Cool. That's a good, uh, good little recap. Any, any similarities to Rondale Moore who has made an impact in Arizona, but is never going to be a, like a go-to kind of guy, you know? I, I think he's a, I think he's got better every down abilities than like I always saw Rondale Moore as nothing but like a manufactured touch guy for the most part. I do think he's got more every down appeal than Rondale Moore does. Um, but the size again, it's just a, it's a tough sell for me personally. I, when I first started doing this, I fell in love with every five, nine, 175 pound receiver that looked dynamic and got open in a lesser conference and lit the senior bowl on fire. And so many of those guys have not really panned out. Like I said, the sky Moors, the Calvin Austins there. Like, I remember when I like I, Kenneth Gainwell's a running back, but I was so obsessed with Kenneth Gainwell and, He's just a small guy. That's a valuable part of a rotation, but he's never going to be the guy, right? And right. I know it's a different position altogether, of course, and maybe it matters a little more at running back because you're never going to be a bell cow at Kenneth Gainwell size. But I, I've just been fooled by too many, many of those types to put too much stock. I like them, but I'm not going to put too much stock into tank down. All right, quickly talk with me through two guys here that round out your top 100 big board. Jaden Reed from Michigan State. Grant Dubose from Charlotte. I haven't had a chance to look into either of these guys yet. Quickly, what do you like? What do you not like? And where might they go in this draft? 
Yeah, I'm higher on Grant Dubose than most, although it hasn't been a great process for him. He was inconsistent at the Senior Bowl. The testing wasn't great. When you watch the tape at Charlotte, uh, I was very impressed. I thought he was their go-to guy, a dominant guy. I feel like a guy that had an X factor. Like the first two games I've watched of him, I think he made the game-winning touchdown with like 10 seconds left. Like anytime they needed to play, they went to him. We actually had a scouting intern um, that was playing college football, and I don't know what, how much I'm allowed to say, so I won't say too much, but we had a scouting intern that played college ball um, that, that, that scouted him and was blown away with him and, and played, you know, high level college ball and said, wow, I love this guy. No one talks about him enough. And this guy knows receiver play fairly well. He's, you know, played college football. And um, he kind of, he was the one that initially put me on, on my radar in all honesty. And then when I watched him, I came away with similar conclusions. I am higher on him than most. He's probably a day three guy, but um, I, I, I've bumped him down the big board a little since that 3.0 came out. But uh We'll see. Uh, we'll see. I am high on him, higher than most. Jaden Reed, Michigan State, another guy that benefited from the Senior Bowl. He was incredible there, uncoverable, probably right along Tank Dell in terms of uh, how good of a Senior Bowl he had. Uh, again, I've got some questions on the size and if he can play a full-time role and how much of that was thriving in an environment in Mobile, right, that's suited for him to win. Um Again, I, I'm thinking round four, probably a lot of these guys, Jaden Reed, Tank Dell. Some people will tell you round two. I think they're drinking a bit too much of the Kool-Aid. Um, I've, I've got a lower grade on them. Again, I've seen how this works. Uh, round four for me on probably both of them. All right, two more guys I want to talk about. I know we're running long here. Thanks to everyone for sticking with us. Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss. Now, I'm just going to quickly read you some numbers here because he's received a lot of comparisons to a certain former Titan who went to Ole Miss as well. Of course, A.J. Brown is who I'm talking about. Mingo stands 6'1 and 3 quarters. A.J. Brown was 6 foot and half an inch. Pretty similar heights. Mingo's a little taller. Uh, 220 pounds. One of the biggest guys in this class in terms of, you know, build and weight. A.J. Brown was 226. A.J. Brown was a little heavier, but not much. They have very similar arm lengths. 32 and an eighth of an inch for Mingo. 32 and seven eighths of an inch for A.J. Mingo has ginormous hands. 10 and three eighths inch hands. A.J. Brown was nine and three quarters. He ran the 40 and 446. A.J. Brown was 449. He jumped 39 and a half inches in the vertical at 220 pounds. AJ was 36 and a half inches. He went, jumped 129 inches in the broad jump. 89th percentile at 220 pounds. AJ was 120 inches and he put up 22 reps on the bench to AJ's 19. So he basically beats AJ Brown in every athletic measurable testing category except for arm length and weight, which are both very close. Is this guy like A.J. Brown, or is it just an athletic profile that's similar? So I do really like Jonathan Mingo. Um, I will say, and I, back to the helmet scouting, but this one is fair because <laughs> A.J. Brown, they both went to Ole Miss. But when you, when you watch him, the thing that struck me out immediately was he's A.J. Brown light in two ways. Is, uh, he's one of the most physical route runners in this class. He might be the most physical route runner in this class. And he's extremely physical after the catch. He's really hard to tackle in the open field. I can see this guy playing in the Titans offense, just like they liked Traylon Burks last year. Similar traits where he's going to run those play action bangs, right? Those, those routes across the middle, those slants, get the ball in his hands quickly, eight, nine, simple, eight, nine yard, simple route across the middle and let him go to work after the catch. That's what I do really like about him. When I watch the tape um, where he left a lot to be desired for me, is I don't think he's nearly as good of a separator as A.J. Brown. 
Like that's what, where he's not getting, like, why isn't he getting first round hype? When you watch the tape in all honesty, and I don't mean to pour a wet blanket on it. He's not as open. He's not open as often as you'd like him to be. And mm. that concerned me. It always felt like there was someone with like a corner stayed in his hip pocket. That's the big question for me is actually creating separation. Um, I think he's an extremely physical athlete. I didn't see the type of athlete on tape that the testing reflects, like some athletic freak, because those numbers you just rounded off are really good. I do really like him. I think um, you take him in the 90, right? You know, I don't think I'm taking him, you know, what do they pick? 72nd, third round? Yeah, you know, maybe I could be talked into that. I'd be more comfortable if you picked him at like 85, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or 95. And, but if you're going to take someone at 85, you can take him at 71 or 72, wherever they pick there. So not a big gap, certainly not a guy I'm looking at 41, uh, but I do think he fits what they look for, right? That big physical made in the mold of a Corey Davis and AJ Brown, a John New Smith. Remember when they had all those guys that can create after the catch and now they don't have any of them, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but he's made in that mold of what they like. He's extremely physical, um, uh, I do think he's their type and it wouldn't be surprised if they earmarked him around the third round mark. Nice. Okay. Last guy. And this is going to be the 17th receiver we've talked about on this episode. So I know we're like way over an hour here, but this is, this is really good stuff and appreciate everyone for sticking with us. This guy has received some Debo Samuel comps and that's why I want to talk oh. about him. Cause I haven't seen too much hype about him outside of some random tweets. He doesn't appear very high in most people's wide receiver rankings for this class. But what do you make of Parker Washington, the Penn State guy, another guy, 5'9 and 5'8 inches, but this he isn't like the rest of them. He's 204 pounds. He's not 170 pounds. Um, what do you make of Parker Washington? He is a well-built, thick guy, and that's the appeal. It's the run-after catchability like you see with Debo, right? Uh, I, I've got questions about his acclimation as well. I, I don't think he played a traditional role at Penn State. I think he's a manufactured touch guy. Hey, so to some people think Debo Samuel's a manufactured touch guy. He's a thousand yards, right? R- running and receiving. So th- there are situations you can put him in that could prove to be very fruitful. I'm not as high on him as uh, Zach is from F-Words Pod. I think F-Words Pod loves the guy off. Um, I, I like him. I've got a lot of questions about how you, you get him into a role at the next level. Um, the Penn State tape does leave a lot to be desired. It's a roller coaster when you t- put the tape on. There's highs and lows, right? And there's not a lot of... Uh, traditional things he did, in my opinion, that get me excited about this guy's going to come in and contribute right away. Again, maybe don't overcomplicate it. Just let him, you know, get the ball in his hands, let him do what he does. But uh, Debo Samuel is a bit of an outlier when it comes to what he, he's done in San Francisco. And I'm, I'm always going to have a hard time believing you got the next Debo Samuel on your hands. I think that's pretty fair. And, uh, you know, guys like people like to have high expectations for players, but it doesn't always pan out, you know, in the ideal scenario. All right, we're way over time. So I'm going to wrap this up extremely fast. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back next week to keep doing this breakdown stuff. So until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.